Hi, I'm Natalie Gawkner. This is Both Sides of the Aisle. I represent the political center and have on the political right, John Dougal. Hey, great to be with you today. And on the political left, Shereen Gorbani. Hello. Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We are in studio and uh, want to talk about some interesting events. And just before we get into the sort of, you know, big issues of the day, it was interesting to see Henry Kissinger pass away in the past week and Sandra Day O'Connor, Shereen. Oh, some very two, different yeah, people who two, occupy different political space. Yeah. And two, um, what would you call them? Like, like Senator Hatch was a lion in the Senate. This was a lion of the Supreme Court and a lion in uh, foreign policy. Yeah, that's right. I'm certain my reaction was probably different than yours <laughs> to Kissinger, for sure. Um, uh-huh. What were your reactions? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the dynamics uh, I look at what I would say, Sandra Day O'Connor, is your classic Western American. Mm-hmm. I mean, from Arizona, interesting childhood growing up, um, you know, in Arizona, and then uh, rising to the highest court of the land mm-hmm. as the first female justice and stuff. And so an incredible legacy. Um, you look at some of the dynamics of some of the Supreme Court rulings, some that, you know, I side with her on, you know, mm-hmm. where her concern with the overreach of government, some that I questioned, but she was clearly a swing vote on the court when she was there for a significant portion and so was a major voice on the court. Mm-hmm. Kissinger, I look at as as kind of this interesting dynamic. Here's a guy that his family fled Nazi Germany, came to the U.S. and rose to such prominence, which shows the power of the American dream and and the welcoming society that we have of kind of doesn't matter what your background is, you can make something of yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I may have disagreed with some of his approaches and policies, but I mean, that's an incredible legacy as well. Mm. I wear an Apple Watch and I've become accustomed in the last you know, year of getting the little jiggle on my wrist and I look down and another famous person has passed. Yeah. It, it seems more and more common as the baby boomers age and you know, they're, you're seeing these things. But so, Well, I would love to hear your thoughts on Sandy you know, O'Connor. My, I don't, I'm a little too young to remember a lot of their most important things. Uh, the Sandra Day O'Connor memory I have is that Mike Levitt wanted her to uh, swear him in as uh, Health and Human Services Secretary. So they had a friendship. Yeah. So I admired that. Uh, I loved when I would go down to Arizona State University, the law school's named after her or the building is, you know, so that meant something to me. Yeah. All I remember about uh, Kissinger is is the China, the Nixon goes to China you know, yeah. events. And, and I mean, that's where I thought you were going to go with your Apple watch because of him and China. Hey, yeah, my Apple maybe, watch was maybe something. Yeah. Like that. But, but it, it'll be a long time before we have someone in foreign policy as dominant as he was in his day. Yeah, I think that's right. So I, one of the things that's been standing out to me in the coverage of Sandra Day O'Connor's passing is the um, amount of really the challenge that she had getting into uh, working as a lawyer at mm-hmm. all. And then what happened, she really, only clerk. a sea change that happened when she was on the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and talked about just seeing across the entire country um, a huge shift in mm-hmm. women in law. And I think that that is a legacy that I'm grateful for. I think that's important. Henry Kissinger is a war criminal as far as I'm concerned and really is responsible for a huge uh, number of deaths across certainly Asia. And I, it feels like a really complicated person in our history mm-hmm. and somebody who had huge yeah. influence across parties. Yeah. One other comment I just make going back to Sandra Day O'Connor, but one of her clerks, Renelle Jones, uh, was my Sunday school teacher when I lived in Washington, the Capitol Hill branch, if that means anything to listeners. She was an amazing teacher, really um, changed my life in some ways. And she's now on the faculty at the law school at the University of Utah. So pretty cool. A free speech expert. Well, we got other uh, interesting, what, national news. Uh, George Santos uh, is expelled from the House 
all of the so Utah, long, yeah, well, yeah. all of the the Utah delegation voted to expel him. If I'm using the term right, John, let's go to you as a Republican. You know, would you have would you have expelled this guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I get that there are certain concerns about procedure and policy, and it's really rare to expel somebody from the mm-hmm. House. But given how egregious his violations were, given how he was clearly using uh, his campaign, his mm-hmm. office for his personal benefit. I don't see how you could have let him stay. Yeah, 23-count federal indictment, including fraud. Yes, but not just the indictments. I mean, the House investigation was damning in and of itself, and I think that's sufficient for the House to say, okay, I changed this necessary. Now, it took three votes to to get there, but... Yeah. Yeah. So I would say the question I would have for the Utah delegation is I'm proud of the Mm -hmm. vote that they took. Um, I I think we could look to Donald Trump and say, is this a person who is also unfit to serve, (laughs) given the level of criminal indictments that that he has, which I think is over 90 at this point? Um, So it would be curious to see if the logic would translate there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm grateful they did this. I think he was uh, certainly a problem. I, I believe it was our senator, Mitt Romney, who said you... Your behavior is beneath this office, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and called him out. And I think that that's important. And, and there are moments where I think our Congress could not be more of a dumpster fire. Seeing this happen makes me think that there is some opportunity for normalization. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know if you saw the comments of John Fetterman, Senator Fetterman from Pennsylvania, calling out Senator Menendez and, go, and saying, okay, good on the House for getting rid of George Santos, but Bob Menendez is even worse. Yeah. And he's still here. Yeah. This is the senator that wore he's the hoodie the sen- on the House floor in shorts, and they changed their rules, rules because rules. of him. <laughs> right, but he's calling out, you yeah. know, Menendez, not as the senator from New Jersey, but the senator from Egypt. Well, I, and wow. honestly, I, I think Menendez should step down as well. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Hey, um, another one I want to go to is this uh, this term dumpster fire, Shireen. You just used it. I mean, it used to be like really a big deal to say that about Washington. Now it's just like commonplace. <laughs> and then Look, it, there's another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in on Fox News, uh, we got to see last week the debate between the- What kind of carbon offsets are there for those dumpster fires? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. <laughs> for Florida governor and the uh, California governor. Uh, it was DeSantis so- DeSantis and Newsom, head yeah, to head. Yeah, head to head. And this is just a spectacle. This is just- you know, sport, political sport. Yeah. Why on earth did DeSantis agree to do this? Okay, yeah. Why do you think? What, John? It's to showcase conservative Florida principles versus progressive California principles. Mm-hmm. And it was to highlight that. And folks were pushing this debate about a year ago. So I would say it should have happened. It should have happened long ago to really showcase the differences between those two states. They're some of our biggest states and they kind of represent the two different parties and to showcase that. Mm-hmm. The coasts but going after each other. Going, the coasts. But you have an interesting dynamic. You have Newsom, which I think is an extrovert, and he's really good on the stage and speaking and things like that. And you have DeSantis, who's more an introvert from my perspective, probably more comfortable governing than he is being out on the stump speech out there debating. Mm-hmm. Which means, why did he do this? Because uh, Governor Newsom is, the other words you'll hear, is so slick. Yeah. He is so good on front of a camera, on his feet, relaying facts. Um, and I know to the Fox audience that just maybe is offensive, but but to the moderates that watch this, boy, you didn't come away wanting DeSantis to like thrive because he just looked so unpresidential to me. I So I have to say, I watched only clips, highlights, mm-hmm. um, but... That resonates with me. If you even just looked at it, I used to many years ago be a communications teacher. And when you think about nonverbal communication and really what an impact that has had in politics over the years, I think the um, 
Nixon debate is like kind of the classic one where they talk mm-hmm. about people who listened versus watched and and the different experiences that they had. But when you think about just how, for me, how smug, uncomfortable DeSantis looked compared to Newsom, who really did look quite confident, quite presidential, honestly, and had a very... Um, you talked about his facts, and I agree with that. I think he really tried to keep coming back to the facts, but he also made values-based arguments. And those arguments were, I, I, the one that really stood out to me was, I don't like the way that you demean and belittle people. I don't like the way that you treat people. And I think that is not something that DeSantis mm-hmm. needs. There was some value stuff there, I agree. Yeah, in the in the broader dialogue. But I, I think DeSantis was pretty strong when he came back going after you know San Francisco. You were the mayor of San Francisco. You look at the dumpster fire that San Francisco is today. And the crime that's there, and you've tried to take those policies and expand them out statewide in California. John and Shereen, I really felt for the listeners because they're throwing out facts left and right. And, you know, you don't know if any of them are true. Um, I found myself afterwards wanting to go look up, like, legitimate sources. fact check. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But when DeSantis uh, brings out the San Francisco poop map... You guys see this clip? Yeah. Yep. I didn't John? see this clip. He holds up an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper that's a map of San Francisco, and it, it is a you know live. Um, it's where people can depiction. report. Yeah, yeah. where they when see, they see human yeah. human feces, and it's just this big brown blob oh. of one of our great American cities, and you know, or that, formerly great. Yeah, and uh, of course, um, if I have this right, Governor Newsom used to be mayor of San yes. Francisco. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know, there was that kind of drama happening. Yeah. 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 Um, we've got just uh, 45 seconds or so left in this segment, but I wanted to ask uh, Shireen about uh, our Vice President Harris going to the COP28 and talking climate. Yeah, so she made some pretty bold commitments around climate. Unfortunately, many of those require congressional approval. So when we're thinking about the dollars that are actually going into, for example, the funds to offset some of the climate disasters that we're seeing around the world, especially for the poorest countries, that's going to take collective action um, mm-hmm. from from Congress. But I do think that it's a nod to, frankly, a very organized and vocal younger segment of the voting population here who wants to see more on climate from this administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, I'll make one uh, prediction for you here. As Salt Lake City and Utah becomes more, uh, you know, closer and closer to Olympic Day, and as we prepare to host the world, that a changing climate and sustainability will crescendo in importance to this community. That's a prediction I'm making. What do you think? Uh, I think when it comes to the question, how much snow are we going to have? If we see challenges having snow, you're absolutely right. If, if the snowfall doesn't change, then I don't think. Is that right? Well, even in the 30 seconds we have left, I mean, I would just say that um, we have to pay more attention because the international community will not support us if we don't show uh, care for the planet long term. Not even just snow for our Olympics, but basically in a, in a winter games uh, orientation, you've got to care about climate. Hey, in our next segment, uh, this is Natalie Gochner with John Dougal and Shereen Gorbani. We've got lots of local news to share. Stay tuned. Shereen Gorbani on the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gochner in the political center. This is both sides of the aisle. Uh, John and Shereen, I want to just start out with the Olympics because uh, they made the announcement, uh, the IOC. I was at... Uh, what was the announcement? What did it say? I, I, well, I was at the city and county building, which I think we should just call City Hall, as this announcement happened. It was just marvelous because with just like 48 hours notice... All these incredible leaders in our state made time to be there. Yeah. Ryan Smith is there. Gail Miller's there. You know, Mayor Wilson's there. Of course, uh, Mayor Mendenhall, the governor's there, uh, legislators, business community, a lot of volunteers from the games. It's just really cool. And then they just had the live feed uh, from the IOC essentially saying that Salt Lake City, Utah is the only 
person in dialogue with the IOC for 2034. So yeah, so you've been through this before, uh-huh. have a little bit of insight. So does this mean we are getting the Olympics? <laughs> so they changed the process. Yeah. Okay. And so it's it's different, but it means so that you're saying if, there's a chance. There's a chance. It means that <laughs> if really we good. hit all our marks, it's us. Yeah. And you know we don't want to be um, arrogant about it, but we've already got our budget done, and you know we've got our facilities. I mean, we can hit those marks. Yeah. So it's targeted dialogue. The formal final announcement will come in July, but it's us. Yeah. It's I, ours. I'm, I I have so many mixed feelings about this. I think okay. I've disclosed before that I'm not the biggest fan of the Olympics. I. I, I, do. Is, I do not understand this. <laughs> now, I will say that it is it's because it's not gymnastics. It's, it's not because gymnastics. it often displaces huge amounts of people and often huge amounts of resources go into facilities that often are laid to waste. They just aren't reused. I think that's one of the things that's actually really exciting about Utah is that the ongoing investment that's kept up many of these facilities to me means less of that. But I do think that we need to be really concerned about what this is going to mean for our affordability of housing. You know, all these kinds of issues, the growth that came certainly after the last Olympics is going to, I think, be exacerbated by this Olympics. Um, So I think there are really serious challenges. I hope that our leaders, and and I think we have some news today that suggests there, there is is, you know, momentum on some of these really big issues when we think about things like affordability of housing, homelessness that are all tied into this for me. But I do, I'm grateful that we kept up our facilities and that we don't have to kind of mm-hmm. start from scratch. Yeah. Well, that's Shireen's call for Provo to be the headquarters of the Olympic Games <laughs> in 2034. Certainly not. Uh, Shireen, I follow what you're saying. Um, it's not my lived experience. Yeah. Right. And so I think of the games like this. When we when we bid for the O2 games, just imagine this. We passed a sales tax increase to build our facilities before we even had a commitment from the IOC to host the games. Talk about risk. Yeah. But we made a decision as a state to become a winter sports capital. Yep. That that was good for our state and that the Olympics could be a, a big piece, but it was bigger than the Olympics, what we were trying to do. And in the end, this is one of the huge community and public policy success stories of our of our nation because you have a state that made a commitment, that delivered on it, you know, meaning built these facilities, that landed the games, that did it successfully, that reaped a profit, that put that profit in the bank, used that to keep the facilities world class. Yes. Before we host the next one, yeah. making us the most sustainable site. You know, we're obviously a very compact site. But talking I, like a staffer for the governor at the time they happened. <laughs> well, but what I would say, when I say lived experience, this is a huge international success story right here in Salt Lake City. I agree. And it has brought wealth and income and uh, prosperity to the state. I agree. But I think about sites <laughs> like Sochi, right? Like these sure. kind of different things. And and certainly some of the things that we're hearing about, even with like uh, the World Cup comes to mind, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really a lot of the fraud and corruption that goes along with it. So I know that we had a little bit of our own corruption scandal the first time. But I think generally Utah did this well and yeah. does it better than a lot of other places. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. John, let's just get your voice on this. I mean, do you have these fears about it uh, turning on us, um, bringing too many people here or or that, you know, the, the international spotlight will be too bright and, and we won't live up to the moment? What, what? Well, I mean, one of the fears is always the dynamic, which is the sequel is almost never as good as the original. And we mm-hmm. had such magical moments coming out of 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olympics. One of the other dynamics is sometimes they get overplayed. I mean, I can remember at the time I went into a a restaurant, Diamond Lil's there in Salt Lake, and it was, what was it? I think it was the Friday before the games were starting. They were so excited about all the events and all the business they were going to do. And I was there the Friday after the game started and the restaurant was basically shut down. They had a little buffet line going Mm -hmm. and I'm like, so what's going on? And they're like, nobody's coming out of here. 
you know, the Olympic visitors are not coming here mm-hmm. and none of the locals are coming yeah. here. And so they basically were thinking dollar signs driving yeah. to their business and Businesses now they're out of business. make the mistake of focusing on the, you know, the 16 day event. You know, if you well, include the Paralympics kind of longer. They were kind of pitched to yeah, buy into and, that And the, the focus is really more what makes the Olympics special is it gives us a moment of international spotlight that we have to prepare for and it makes us better in every way. Meaning we, you know, our transportation system has to work. It'll help us with our air quality. I mean, it, the spotlight is so bright that you change your behavior to be better. Right. And, and then so you it's come a out long it. game. We, it's not a, a, yeah. a day, a, you know, multi-week event. And you come out. Clearly, we've showcased that, you know, we can host good events and people love the beauty of our state. And there's lots of tourism and lots of people moving here for various reasons that part of that came out yeah. of the Olympic Games. Yeah. But there's also the downside that Shireen talked about. You know, we're, we're having housing prices going up rapidly. Yeah. We've got certain constraints where supply is not meeting demand yeah. and other ramifications a that come with it. A stat that uh, listeners will find interesting is we have about a million more people here today than we did in 2002. That means about one in three Utahns didn't experience the Games. That's me. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, yeah. another thing when you talk about the Olympics, you always think about Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney's been making news because he's basically made this comment that he'd vote for a Democrat over Trump in 2024. And now he's been kind of walking that back. But this I, think kid, he, I think he said, why isn't Ann running for president? <laughs> Does this mean Ann is a Democrat? <laughs> that happens. Yeah, that happens. I think, but, I think yeah. he's saying Ann's a better choice than I'm what's out saying. there. But uh, he is on a warpath against Donald Trump. Yes, yeah. And his oh, own yeah. party, largely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no. I I, I think clearly there's no love lost between the two of them. Uh, they have a long troubled history over the years from when, when Romney was a presidential mm-hmm. candidate to when Trump was a presidential candidate to when Trump was president and all that stuff and to the impeachment and everything else. There's a long troubled history there. And I, I don't fault Romney for his concerns about President Trump um, and and stuff. But but clearly, I think he got a little over his skis in terms of his statement, and people read maybe too much into it more than he intended. Yeah. If our listeners really get excited about all this political news just as a hobby or something, I recommend a subscription to Sirius XM radio mm-hmm. during a presidential election year because, you know, there's a whole station on presidential politics that always is having interesting gates. for holiday music. <laughs> there is. Yeah, there is that. And then, and then, of course, you can get the live feeds, you know, happening on the BBC or all the financial news and how they're commenting on the presidential. And, you know, there's this trick in news gathering that the financial news sources are the best because they have a bottom line. And so they're not in it for entertainment as much as they are for giving great information. Yeah. Oh. So CNBC and, and the like, I Bloomberg, I recommend those. So, all right, let's and, come. And we're not we're not sponsored by SiriusXM. <laughs> let's like to talk. Give us a call. Yeah, give us a call. Let's talk about uh, Utah governor's race uh, quickly. We had uh, Representative Brian King announce he'll challenge Governor Cox this year. This is the Democratic candidate. This is former, another one of these former minority leader in the House. Yes. Another one of these Apple Watch moments where I get this you know, text yeah. from Brian King. I'm like, oh, what does he need? I'm like, oh, it's like a, it's a it massive a, text. It was just, a fundraising. Yeah. yeah. Shereen, give I got us the, the text. Did you get the text? I got the text. <laughs> Did you? Okay, good. Yeah. Give us the color commentary. Okay, so from this is- From an unknown number, so I knew it wasn't really Brian. Yeah, so I'll just say Brian King was a person when I, you know, got involved that certainly was a, a, a really uh, kind and generous person with his time, advice, mm-hmm. um, certainly support. And I think um, a person who is really- I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I would love to see somebody who is an urban 
um, candidate, and he is, you know, lives in Salt Lake City. Sugar House area? Yeah, in the Sugar House area. Attorney by training. Attorney by training. Mm -hmm. Um, Really just a thoughtful kind of um, LDS, right? I think he, I don't know if he's practicing now, but I Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about the faith and... and Oh, he's he's got... Um, for listeners will find this interesting that are of the faith, he's got a lineage that stretches back to Joseph Smith, and he looks like the death mask. Oh, <laughs> Do you know this, John? I did not know that. He looks like Hiram. This is I know that's sort yeah. of funny, but I've talked to him about it. Oh, well, it's, yeah. He, he has so, the curly hair, and he's got the, the, the forehead and nose of, 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 the, of the Smith family. So what I would say, though, is that for a person who really centers and prioritizes some of the key issues and also values that I see a lot of Utahns care about, I'm really proud that he's in this race, and I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah. So I have a fun relationship with Brian. He and I would butt heads, clearly, given where I sure. represented Northeast Utah County. And very you're both very data-driven and vo- both uh, very policy smart. So yeah, I can imagine yeah. the, so the head-butting was interesting. we had a great friendship, but we disagreed significantly on policy. And I viewed him as doing a good job representing his constituency, and I was doing a good job representing mine. But I can still remember one time. It was in the summer, interim time. It's quiet. I got a letter from Brian out of the blue, and I opened it. And it was a photocopy of a political cartoon, House on Fire, firefighters racing out to put out the fire, and the homeowner stands waving his hand saying, I no thanks, I'm a libertarian. Oh, funny. And, <laughs> and he just had a little note that said, saw this and thought of you. And yeah. sent it off. Tells you something and it about says something that, you know, you had to mm-hmm. get my address and get a stamp and put it in an envelope and send it on its way. But, yeah, you know, I still I remember so that. Many discretions. Uh, John, stay with you real quickly here. Is this good news or bad news for Cox? And the way I want to say that is, of course, he's the incumbent. He's a Republican. He's, you know wildly favored. But this is a high quality policy mind. Uh, Yeah, but he's on the Democratic side. And so I think at the end of the day, um, I don't see this as being much of a challenge for the governor. Shireen, I don't think the governor will be able to discount him. No, I think that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, I especially think kind of in light of some of the broader conversations that we're having and also, you know, some challengers that Cox is facing from within his own party, there could be a little bit of a political bloodbath for him coming into um, into next year's yeah I guess it's next year's already it feels weird to say that but um, mm-hmm. election so I think he sign could, ups are a month away yeah we'll see how things go but um, I think with Phil Lyman in the race it could be challenging in mm-hmm. the in the primary and then coming out of that there might be some space for people who are interested in maybe moving towards a, a more kind of moderate um, view for maybe what the future of our state and should Cox look like. has been trying to take steps to the to right, the right. To the right. I don't think, uh, you know, it's going to be significant enough to, to matter and stuff like that. But Yeah. A uh, big year for both sides of the aisle with all this political talk. Uh, right. Early December is always when the governor uh, releases parts of his budget, his recommendations to the legislature. He went out this week with uh, a big ask uh, for homelessness. Yes. And $180 million ask. Yeah. In a time of flat to declining revenue. Yeah. And I have this news for my policy friends up on Capitol Hill. You can pay a lot now or a lot more later. Yeah. Look at this proposal seriously. This is a coming together of the Salt Lake County Mayor, Salt Lake City Mayor, the leadership of Wayne Niederhauser as our homeless coordinator in the state. This is a big move, very becoming of our state. And I think this ties back to the conversation around the Olympics, right? If we're really thinking about what it means to invest upfront and really make significant inroads when it comes to deeply affordable housing and the support system that our growing state needs, especially when it comes to the issue of, of homelessness, this is good. I'm, I'm grateful to see this kind of investment. What we've seen um, year after year is that there is a, a big number like this that comes out. Usually a lot less gets um, actually allocated by the time the you know budget season is done. But I couldn't agree with you more, Natalie. When we say the investments that you make in this issue up front 
pay dividends down the road. Yeah. It is much more expensive to do it the way that we're doing it and to see more and more people on our streets. And I'm much more skeptical. I mean, I, the legislative auditor general over the years has done various audits about uh, overseeing the programs of homelessness in the state, expressed various concerns about that oversight. Uh, from my perspective, it just seems like year after year, we'll put this money in and it will solve these problems. It'll put this in and, and it just seems to be more of the same, more of the same, throw more money in, nothing really changes. Yeah. John, you are. So over, I, so I get the good intent. You are but overly the the skeptical day, here. Yeah. You are overly skeptical. Here's why well, I, I was content. I'm a realist. You look at the last <laughs> five years. This is why when though, a population grows, the same amount of resources no longer meets the demand. This is why you're overly skeptical because the key to this issue is alignment. That's how you make sure that you get results. That's how you make sure you get, um, you know, wise spending of the money. And the, well, got, no, the Utah Impact Partnership is the philanthropic arm of this, and they are demanding accountability. And so you're going to see a homelessness dashboard. You're going to see independent reviews. Um, Temporary you know, shelters means people are still technically homeless from my perspective. For sure. They don't have a home. And so we are, in essence, incentivizing to keep people homeless. We are incentivizing the you know, organizations out there to keep people dependent and homeless. There have, that is part of the outcome of the, what we're driving. There have to so be let's a, recognize. There have to be a lot of different entry points, though. People are not ready necessarily to move straight off the street into some sort of housing or a shelter for lots of reasons, including deep trauma. So I think that it's important for us to have lots of different entry points. And that I, I don't love the temporary you know, shelters either, but I think that it is a path. That's a wrap. We got to go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Both Sides of the Aisle, produced by Anthony Skoma. Thanks for listening.